we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at two or three more verses this morning um, that I hope will encourage you. Uh, when we talk about things like brokenness and suffering, it can be easy to, to kind of think that that's a, a morbid thing to talk about, but I, but I really think that it's something that, that we misunderstand often. And, um, and I, I have learned so much in studying and preparing for these messages. So um, last week we looked at verses 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, and the, the big point that we came home with was that victory isn't found in escaping adversity, but in enduring it. And sometimes we, even as Christians, think that the goal is to get away from adversity, to try to escape it, to try to eliminate as much adversity from our life as possible. And that's just not what Paul describes here. That's not, um, that's not the purpose. That's, um, you know, God has described, uh, Paul has described us as broken, as jars of clay, things that are fragile and broken and so today I want us to look at the verses following verses 8 and 9. We're going to pick up with verse 10 and look at a way that even more that Paul is describing the beauty of this brokenness that he's talking about in himself and in turn in us as well. Um, and I want you to think about the word paradox because what, what we're going to read this morning from Paul really is, sounds like, a paradox. Now, if you don't know what a paradox is, a paradox is a statement that seems to be self-contradictory. But when you examine it and look at it, you often find it to be true. And um, here's an ex- here a couple of examples of a paradox. Uh, one is this statement, the only constant is change. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> That's a paradox because in that statement, you're talking about constant something that's constant which means it doesn't change and then something that does change those two words in and of themselves are opposites constant and change but they create in that paradox a principle that really when you think about it is absolutely true the only uh, the only thing one of the only things really certain in life is that things are always changing and so that's an example of a paradox another one is this that that I have been living, I feel like, for the past three years. Uh, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Right? The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. It's, again, take those two statements separately. They seem to contradict one another. But when you put them together, they create a principle that's very, very true. Um, a paradox is what we're going to read. As we read these verses now, you're going to see... That, that Paul is doing the same thing. He's taking two things that in and of themselves are very opposite, but he's, cre- he's expressing a principle that's essentially true for the Christian life, and it's something that we, that we need to have a good understanding of. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is what Paul writes. After, now remember, after he's described in verse 8 and 9, you remember I'm, we, we're... Um, crushed um, but not abandoned, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, all those, all those things. I didn't say that right, but you, you remember those verses. Look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
You see the paradox of that statement? Look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may, al- may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Like if you stop and look at that for a minute, you can see just uh, the, the whole thing is one big paradox. He talks about life and he talks about death. And, and life and death are, are two of the most opposite things that, that we can think of in the natural world. But, but Paul is teaching us something here that's very, very important. Um, I think, again, I said already, we have to be careful that we don't create a misunderstanding about suffering and Christianity. Like, let's just be honest. Nobody likes to suffer, right? It's not a pleasant thing. It's not something that we enjoy going through. But there's a principle about Christianity that I think maybe we don't talk about so much. And it causes a misunderstanding in the world about Christianity. And that is to be obedient to Christ requires suffering. Obedience and suffering go hand in hand. Obedience to God will never be free from suffering. And I think maybe sometimes we want to create a life and a life of faith that is free from suffering, right? Like, like we were talking about before, and, and as Paul was talking about, it's, it's like we want to create this world that's free from suffering. We think the goal is to escape it. Let's get away from it. Let's eliminate it from our lives as much as possible. But I think what you're going to see this morning is that obedience to Jesus is never, ever going to be free from suffering. So we have to almost choose. Um, we tell people we create a misconception because we, when we talk about our faith, what, what, what do you talk about when you share your faith with people? You talk about the good stuff, don't you? We talk about the blessings, the benefits of of our faith. We talk about joy, peace, security, fulfillment, grace, love. And of course we should. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't share those things with people. Of course we do. But there's another part of all of those things that I feel like we don't share with people. And it's that most of the time... And I think some of you may understand what I'm about to say. Most of the time in our Christian lives, the times that we experience the most joy and the most peace and the most security and grace and love is during the times that we're suffering the most. Now just think about your life. Think about the times when, when God was most real to you, the reality of all of those characteristics of him that we share with the world. Think about the times when you went through the hardest circumstances you've ever been through. I don't know about you, but I can look back in my life and I can, I can look at some of your lives because I've had the privilege of being here so long. And the times that I've seen Jesus in some of you the most was in the times of your greatest suffering. 
But, we, but when we sell Christianity to people or we talk to them about Christianity, we're all about the, the great things that God brings us. But maybe what we don't tell them is that in my experience of, of all those things in God, those things have come and been most real to me in times of suffering in my life. And so when unbelievers, when we don't explain that, they get a misconception and they draw one of two conclusions. Either they've been lied to, when they reach out, it's almost like uh, we try to sell them, we try to give them like this bouquet of roses, right? That Christianity is this, is this bouquet of roses. Everything's beautiful and great. And then when they reach out to grab it, there's all these thorns. And they grab it and they go, ow, that hurts. And, and maybe they jerk away from it. Because we don't tell them about the, I'm not trying to make a cliche, but we don't tell them about the painful part. We just tell them about the beautiful part. And so they draw a couple of conclusions. One's that somebody's lied to them. Either God has lied to them or we've lied to them. That this faith thing is not really what I thought it was. Or another conclusion they can come to is when they, they, they try to embrace faith in Christ and they go through suffering and trouble, they're told or they feel like they're doing it wrong. Why am I suffering? Why am I going through bad circumstances? Because I'm, I'm, I put my faith in God, right? He's supposed to fix everything. He's supposed to make my life great. And my life is not great. My life is, is horrible. I'm going through all these painful things. So I must not be doing it right. I want to give you three characteristics this morning of suffering that we can pull out of these three verses um, that will explain a little bit about what Paul is trying to teach us about the role of suffering in the life of a believer, in his mission and in our mission. So... One, two, three, and this is, a, this is a nice traditional Southern Baptist alliterated. All three of these start with the same letter. Okay? Aren't you proud? Number one is that Paul's suffering was perpetual. Perpetual. And hopefully you know what that means. Perpetual is something that goes on and on and on and continues. I want you to go back to verses 10 through 12. We're going to go back to that a lot. Look at the beginnings of verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11. What word does he use? First word, what is it? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Number, verse 11. For we who live are what? Always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Paul's suffering was constant. He uses that word always because it was a way of life for him. He gave his whole life to the mission of spreading the gospel. And every day he woke up to accomplish that mission, he went through suffering of some kind. He uses that word always, which means it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just like... Just, just like our faith and our, our being made into the image of Christ isn't just a one-time thing. We don't just get saved and arrive and, and live out the rest of our life. It's a process. Well, so is, so is suffering and pain. He says it's something that's perpetual. It's going to happen. It doesn't just happen once. It, it continues to happen over and over and over. 
If we go back to Luke chapter 9 in verse 23, Jesus says something that we all have heard our entire lives, but we have to connect it. Chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, how many times? Daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's, it's not a one-time thing. And so what we've heard from Jesus and what we've heard from Paul so far in, in just this first part is there's a perpetual death that comes about in our lives because of our faith. Jesus is talking about denying yourself and taking up your cross. Listen, when that crowd heard Jesus say that, they weren't thinking about that. They didn't, when, it, when, when they heard Jesus say, take up your cross, it wasn't a sales pitch. They weren't thinking about a religious symbol. It wasn't something that, that you wore around your neck as jewelry. It wasn't something that you hung in your house for decoration. When they heard take up your cross, they heard death. Brutal death. Humiliating death. And, and Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, you have to take up your cross. Wow, Jesus, we have to die? And Jesus says, you don't just have to take it up one time. You have to take it up every day. That's what, that's what they heard. That's what Jesus was saying. And then verse 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, will, will give it up. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's another paradox of suffering that Jesus is saying. When you give up your life, that's when you find it. Look also at what Paul says. Go back to verses 10 through 12 there in 2 Corinthians. He says, always being given over to what? Death. <laughs> Again, um, being given over, when he uses that phrase um, for verse 11, for the we who, are, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That, that phrase, being given over, is the same phrase that described Jesus being delivered up for crucifixion. That we're being handed over, given over to death. For Paul, the death of Jesus was not an external event. It was an internal reality. And there's a challenge, I think, to Christianity that Paul is calling us to here as believers. It's not just to look at Jesus' death one time a year as a historical event. It's to embrace the death of Jesus every day as a reality in our lives. To live out the death of Jesus. It should be something that we think about all the time. The suffering that he went through. And, and this is something that Paul was trying to teach that was opposite of what people said. His critics at the time, the people who were coming against Paul, he was obviously suffering. And we read last week, that description of all of the things that he had suffered. 
And his critics would come and say, look at that guy. You see how much he's suffering? You know why he's going through all that suffering? It's because he has all kinds of hidden sin in his life. God's punishing him. That's why there's all this suffering in his life. But Paul didn't see it that way. And he doesn't describe it that way. He, he doesn't carry his suffering like a punishment from God. He carries his suffering like a badge of honor for God. And he understands it's, it's not what the rest of the world thinks. That because you're suffering, that means God, is, it means God is punishing you or you're doing something wrong. Paul says, no, actually, the more I suffer, the more I realize I'm doing it right. It's perpetual. It's something that, that happened repeatedly. Here's the second one. Paul's suffering was purposeful. It wasn't, it wasn't just perpetual. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was something that he lived out on a daily basis. And number two, it was full of purpose. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. We, look, we saw the, the perpetual nature of it in the first half of those two verses. Now I want us to look at the second half of both of those verses. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. In verse 11, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. He basically says the same thing twice at the end of verse 10 in the end of verse 11. He says there's a purpose that, that we're constantly being given over to death on this perpetual basis. Why? So that the life of Jesus will be manifested in our bodies. He says that he was enduring death in the body so that the life of Jesus could come out of him. There's, there's the paradox. You say, well, I thought Paul said he was dying every day. He was. But the, the purpose for that death and the purpose for him embracing the death of Jesus is so that the life of Jesus could come out of him. Um, look at Galatians 2.20. Again, another passage that we're very familiar with, but I want you to think about it in context to this in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Now, I want us to read through this, but I'm going to pause a couple of times because I want you to notice a couple of things. Think about this paradox. You remember? Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Again, reference to the cross, death, punishment. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. All right, stop right there. That's Paul's death, right? It's no longer I who live, Paul's death, but Christ who lives in me. So, Paul's death, Jesus' life. You got that? It's no longer I who live, I've died, but Christ lives in me, Jesus' life. And the life I now live, oh, he's flipped it. The life I now live in the, in the sentence before, he says, I don't live anymore. But now the life that I now live now, he's talking about Paul's life, his own life. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Jesus death. So in the first sentence, he's talking about his own death. And the life of Jesus. And then in the next sentence, he's talking about his life and the death of Jesus. You know why? Because he saw those things as one in the same. 
He knew that his life came from the death of Jesus. And he knew that the death of his own life would bring about the life of Jesus going out into the world. I want to tell you something. One of the greatest witnesses to the life of Jesus being coming out in your life is how you face and endure suffering in, in your life. You think, I want to be a witness, right? I want, to be, I want people to see Christ in me. You know, one of the greatest ways people will see Jesus in you is what you do when you're going through trials and suffering. How do you respond? What are the things that you say? What do you do? When things are hard, when things are difficult, and, that, and, that, and that's what I was saying earlier. There's some of you that I've seen go through nightmarish things in your life. But those are the times that I was able to see you and go, well, they have the life of Jesus in them. And stop and think about it for a minute. Who are those people that you've seen? They may be in this room. They may not be here. Who are those people that you've seen go through, believers, you've seen go through overwhelming suffering and pain? But the reality of who Jesus was became so real to you because you watched them go through that in the way they endured it, in the way they responded to what was happening. Paul was suffering from persecution. Now, now we suffer for lots of different reasons. If we're, if we're looking specifically in the context of what Paul is talking about, he's talking about persecution that he was enduring because of his mission for the gospel. Now, I don't know many of us who are going to suffer persecution the way Paul did, and we talked about that a little bit last week, the fact that that we should be grateful that we do live in a place where we don't have to worry about being hunted down and thrown in prison or murdered because we're standing up for Jesus. Maybe one day it will get that bad, but, but we can, as messed up as America is, we can be grateful for that, that we can be in this place this morning and worship and proclaim the name of Jesus. But we still go through suffering. And we suffer for different reasons. Sometimes we suffer because of the curse of sin in the world. Sometimes suffering comes into our lives just because the world's broken. It's not your fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's the fact that, that we live in a sin-cursed world and things happen and they bring destruction and hurt and suffering into our lives. Sometimes it's because of the curse of sin. Sometimes it's because of our own bad choices, though. Let's be honest. Sometimes we suffer, and it's not like we're martyrs or we're, we're being persecuted for our faith. Sometimes we suffer because we make dumb choices, right? We do things wrong. We, we willfully sin, and the consequences of those sin come into our life and bring suffering sometimes. But sometimes we suffer too, not just because of our bad choices. Sometimes we suffer because of the bad choices of other people. Sometimes it's not us that does the wrong thing, but maybe it's somebody that we love, somebody that we care about, or a total stranger who makes a bad choice. And the, and the consequences and the effects of their bad choice spills over into our life. 
and it brings suffering for us. We don't suffer the way in, in, in persecution the way Paul did, but our daily death of self in suffering shows the life of Jesus to the rest of the world. The way we will embrace the suffering that comes into our lives the way Paul did and use it as a tool, as a vessel. Let that suffering in us be something that lets the gospel be seen even more. And so Paul ends with verse 12, so short, but again, another paradoxical statement that's very profound. What's the result of that? He says, what happens? What's the result of Paul's life embracing the death of Jesus on a perpetual daily basis for the purpose of letting the life of Jesus be seen in him? Look at verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That's number three. Paul's suffering was profitable. It was perpetual. It was full of purpose. But it was very profitable. And he says there in verse 12, death is at work in us, but what did it bring into the church? Life. He embraced death and suffering in his life so that life the life of Jesus could be brought about in other people. God used the daily death of Paul in his suffering to produce new life in other people. You know, there's that illustration of the seed. And when you bury a seed and put it in the ground, before anything springs up from it, it has to die, right? That's what happens. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Again, the words of Paul. Back to chapter 2. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He says, if my life has to be poured out as a sacrifice, I'm going to pour it out as a sacrifice. Did he say for his own faith? For his own benefit? For his own comfort in his walk with Christ? He said, no. If, I, if my life has to be a sacrificial offering of death, I'm going to pour it out for your faith, he said to the church. And he said, I will endure suffering and embrace the death of Christ to let life be brought about in you. And I will love it and rejoice in it and be glad for every opportunity I have. Paul was modeling the mission of Jesus. What would have happened if Jesus had come to fulfill his mission and his goal was to escape suffering? We would be lost. 
if Jesus had gone into the Garden of Gethsemane and fell on the ground and wrestled and prayed with the Father and got up and said, you know what, I just can't take it. I just, I can't deal with it. It's too much. Where would that leave you? Where would that leave me? Paul was saying, I want to be so much like Jesus that I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to walk into suffering to bring about life in his church. So I think we've greatly misunderstood the role of suffering in our lives as Christians. I'm going to say this, and it may sound crazy, but I think it's true. That Christianity without suffering isn't really Christianity. It's so connected to the life of Paul here that I think we're, we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to other people when we say or, or perpetuate the idea that living the Christian life is all about being saved from adversity. And not having to suffer. Now, there's a promise, right? Of a, of a glorious eternal deliverance from all suffering. And that's what Revelation 21 says that he will, he will come and dwell with his people. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more sorrow. No more death. All of those things are going to be gone. But that's for then. And we can look forward to that and we can hope in that. And the idea of that is our hope that, that motivates us to continue to endure what we're enduring here because we know in the end it's all going to be made new and taken away. But we should never try to convince somebody that if they come to faith in Christ that it's just going to take away all their suffering, all the bad in their life's going to go away. Because it's just not true. Paul actually endured more suffering because of his faith. This is part of the lie of the prosperity gospel. There are people who teach in the name of Christ who will tell you that if you're living out your faith right, you won't suffer. That God's purpose for you is to not endure suffering. For you to have everything the way you like it. For you to never be in need, never be in want, never be sick. It's just not true. That's not, that's not the kind of Christianity that Paul preached. That's not the gospel. So I want us to end with these words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And there's something at the end of this that's just so... Mm. Philippians 3, verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. For what? In order that I may gain Christ." And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now look at verse 10. I don't know if, if maybe we read over verse 10 and don't get it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his what? Sufferings becoming like him in his death. Verse 10, it says it. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Here's what I'm afraid of, that that maybe many believers, including myself at times, I want the power of the resurrection in my life without the suffering and the death. I think there are too many Christians. We want the power of the resurrection in our life. But we can't experience the power of the resurrection until we experience the suffering and the death. Jesus didn't. That's just part of it. 